subject called spiritual building blocks. Uh, football season has started back. And usually when football season starts, guys kind of have to go through the basics, kind of get prepped, get ready before they really start advancing. Well, believe it or not, there are some basics. There are some things that we do as Christians to grow and build our faith to make us stronger, make us better. And so this morning, we're going to look at what I call the spiritual building blocks of the Christian faith. It's a lot like building a house. You have to start first with clearing off the property, getting a firm foundation, and then you begin the structure going upwards. Well, if you're ever going to grow in life spiritually, you have to begin with a foundation and grow upward spiritually. So we're going to be in Second Peter uh, chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses 3 through 10. And this is what it says. It says, by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So notice that Peter immediately tells me and you that God has given us everything we will ever need to live a godly life. So if you're not living a godly life right now, you can't say that I just don't have the tools. If you're not living a godly life right now, you can't say uh, God hasn't given me the equipment. It's just the opposite. Peter has made it clear that God has given you and I the tools, the necessary equipment to live a godly life. And he says, we have received all this by coming to know him. The one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption. Notice that Peter's given us or will be given us some things that will enable you and I to escape the world's corruption um, caused by the human desire. So one of the wonderful things about our Lord and Savior is that he never tells you to prepare for something and then leaves you hanging and won't let you know what to prepare for. So Peter has told us that God has given us the necessary means to live a godly life, that God has given us the necessary means to live a holy life. And that holy life, in turn, will then enable us to escape the world's corruptions, the world's desires, the world's temptations. So what are these things? What are these tools that He's given us? Well, we find out beginning in the next verse. And He says this, In view of all of this, make every effort... To respond to God's promises, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and with moral excellence, knowledge and with knowledge, self-control and self-control, patient endurance and with patient endurance, godliness and of course, and with godliness, brotherly affection and with brotherly affection, with love for everyone. So Peter now gives us the necessary steps or the necessary things uh, to enable us to allow us to live a godly life. The very first thing he says, he says, make every effort to respond to God's promises. In order for us to really mature as children of God, we have to make every effort. And that is the key. In other words, if you're casually trying to grow in your faith, then you will fail miserably. Think about that. Anything you do in life, if you casually work at your job, you will never excel at your job. If you casually work... Um, on your yard. Your yard will never be that good because you have to make every effort to make it beautiful. You have to make every effort 
to make it grow and to be exciting. If you casually work at anything, you will never exceed the limit that you need to. And so Peter, first of all, wants us to know this, is that if you're being beat up by the world, and this is what he was doing, he was writing to a group of Christians that were scattered abroad. They were facing a lot of persecution and a lot of temptations, and some of them had given up. Some of them were complaining, like, this Jesus thing is not working. We can't figure it out. And Peter says, well, listen, here's how you figure this out. First of all, you have to make every effort to respond to God's promises. That's the very first thing. So we have to know, if listen, if you're not going to really go after God with all of your heart, then you might as well not even go after the Lord. Because if you're not going to go after him with all of your heart, it's meaningless, it's useless, because you're going to fail over and over and over again. It's just that simple. I mean, think about that for um, people who are, are couples. Do you want your spouse to go after you with all of their heart? Or do you want them to casually approach you and pursue you? And of course, the answer would be, oh no, I want them to go after me with everything they've got in their being. I mean, they, they really need everything. Well, that's the same way with the Lord. He wants us to pursue him with everything. And so the very first thing that we have to do is that we have to basically have faith. That's the very first key in this situation is that we have to have faith. If you do not have a solid building block to start with, if you do not have a firm foundation or a solid foundation to start with, you're going to be in big trouble. For anybody who's ever been on the ladder, the very first thing you want to make sure is what? The ground beneath you is what? Stable. I mean, have you ever been on a ladder before and all of a sudden the ground sinks in and you just kind of... I'll I'll never forget when I was in college, I was working in construction with my father and I was up on a a 20-foot extension ladder at the very top putting on a metal roof. And um, the ladder all of a sudden just leaned. And then it leaned. I just went off the side of the roof. Um, Just right off the ladder, onto the ground. Fortunately, I hit grass and I was fine and I wasn't hurt. But um, it's the same way. In order for us to climb this ladder... In order for you to climb the ladder of faith, you have to have a solid background. You've got to have a firm foundation. And you have to understand, when we have faith in the Lord, faith moves mountains that we're told in the Bible in Matthew 17, 20. We're also told that our faith will help us to overcome any and every obstacle in the world in 1 John 5, 4 through 5. We're also told that there's nothing impossible with our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 17, 20. We also are told that all things are possible with faith. And faith, and we cannot please God without faith. I mean, it's just something that we've got to have. So here's what we need to know. A faith of convenience is a hollow faith. And if any of you old-timers have ever watched Mass, that was Father Mulcahy off the series Mash. He said, if you have a faith of convenience, in other words, if the only time we're ever coming to church is because it's convenient for you, If the only time you're ever reading your Bible, you're praying because it's convenient for you, then it's going to be a hollow. It's going to be an empty faith because we go back to the beginning. We have to pursue it with all of our heart. And not only that, faith isn't faith until you're holding on to it. It's just that simple. You've got to hold on to it with everything in your being. And we know that faith can produce a lot of things. Faith can produce a hope for our life. It can produce joy for our life. It can produce peace in our life. It can produce confidence. So the very first thing in in growing spiritually, and, and Peter makes it very clear, these are steps that you have to take. The first step is faith. Of course, the second step is what we call moral excellence. Some translations say it's virtue. 
So the very first step we take in life is one of moral excellence. It's one of virtue. In other words, you are going to be basically putting everything into this thing that you can. So, for instance, moral excellence is the pendulum of the spiritual life. We pretty much have to give everything we have to pursue the Lord. Once we have faith in the Lord, the next thing is to give all that you have. Not only that, it's giving your best, not just getting by. Once again... For us to really excel in our Christian life, we just can't get by. We have to give our best. It's also the job is done to perfection, not just completed. In other words, if you're just trying to get by, you're going to be in trouble. Number four, complete involvement, nothing held back. You're going to give your all. I mean, after all, if you decide to jump out of a a plane, once you jump, there's no turning back, is there? I mean, you're, you're done, you know. If you don't jump out of the plane, then you're never going to jump out. You have to jump. You really have to jump with the Lord. Also, you need to be totally transparent, nothing hidden. In case you haven't figured this out, God knows everything that's going on in your life. And you need to learn that God knows everything that's going on in your life. And, and you just need to learn to confess those things. If you're struggling in areas, God, I'm struggling in these areas. God, I, I need help with these areas. And we also know that faith... Uh, must express itself in action. Faith without works is what? It's dead. And so you can have all the faith you want in the Lord, but in all reality, if you're not expressing that faith in action, then it's a dead faith. And so for us to grow in our spiritual life, we have to have that in, in action, in motion. And the only way to prove our faith is by living a life of virtue, by living a life of moral excellence. So... If we're going to build our life, and if we're going to become a mature spiritual being in the Lord, the first thing is, is we've got to have a firm foundation in faith. The first step that we're going to take, basically, is to have moral excellence. And I like this quote. It says that true virtue is in the Christian life is not just polishing human qualities, no matter how fine they may be, but it's producing divine qualities that make the person more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus each and every day. So, I have faith, I have moral excellence, and the next thing I have to have is knowledge. In just a few minutes, I'll have to climb on the stage, I can tell. But I wanted you to be able to see it. So our next step in climbing this ladder of of spiritual growth is to have knowledge. The Bible tells us that knowledge occurs more than 1,600 times. So let me ask you this question. If 1,600 times that word knowledge is used, how important do you think it is for us to know our Bible? You think it's just a little important? Or do you think it's very important? Very important. You ever heard that phrase, knowledge is power? They say that Francis Bacon coined the phrase in 1557, but in all reality, back in the early 950 B.C., it was King Solomon. Because Solomon said, a wise man is strong, yes, A wise man of knowledge increases strength. So long before Francis Bacon coined the phrase, King Solomon coined the phrase to tell us that knowledge is power. So this is how this works, just to kind of help you out. We have faith, we have moral excellence, and we have knowledge. If you do not have much memorization of God's Word, or you don't know much about your Bible, I can tell you why you don't know much about your Bible. Because your life is not filled with moral excellence. 
And if your life is not filled with moral excellence and virtue, then more than likely you're lacking in your faith. They, go back and read the Bible. It says and, 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 and. They're added one to another. It's a building block. It's a process. And so you say, Brother Chuck, I'm, you know, I've been studying the Bible for 30 years and I don't know much about it. It's probably because the passion and the desire that you have about it, you don't have it. Because one drives the other. And that's why Peter was trying to make it so clear to these people who were scattered abroad to say, listen, have a life of faith, have a life of moral excellence, and then a life of knowledge. Because see, when you have a life of knowledge and you have scripture memorization, it will help you to make wise decisions. It'll help you choose the right friends. It'll help you to avoid mistakes. It'll help you to overcome any and every obstacle in your life. I mean, that's, that's just the way that it is. Most of us, we are drowning in, in information and starved for knowledge. It's amazing how much we know about the little trivia questions in life and how little we know about the Bible itself or about the Christian life. Sing songs, quote quotes from movies and books and everything else, but yet we don't have very little knowledge about the Scriptures. We're starving for that very thing. So we live a life of faith, and on that faith we should build moral excellence. And on that moral excellence we should build knowledge, and on knowledge we should build this thing called (laughs) self-control. Anybody have a hard time losing your temper every now and then? Controlling your emotions? We have a problem doing that? You know why you have a problem controlling your emotions? You know why you have a problem losing your temper? You say it's people. And I would agree with you on that to an extent, but that's not the truth. The reason why we don't have self-control is because we don't have knowledge of the Scripture. And the reason why we don't have knowledge of the Scripture is because we don't have moral excellence. And the reason why we don't have moral excellence is because we have a weak faith. When we lose our self-control, it's because we've allowed our emotions to take the best of us rather than allowing the Word of God to take over our life. So self-control is learning to harness power to be used in a constructive manner rather than a destructive manner. Now, you can just look left or right. We all have problems with our emotions every now and then. We've all lost our temper. We've all said things to somebody we wish we had never said. That's just who we are. I mean, that's part of the human nature. That's part of life. But the reason why we lose our emotions is because we're allowing our feelings And we're allowing the situation to overcome our life rather than allowing the Word of God to lead and direct our life. The reason why we have these crazy unwanted passions and desires is we're allowing the influence of the world to permeate and to really get in our life rather than allowing the Word of God to get in our life and to control our life. Psalms 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. David knew the only way I'm never going to sin against God is I've got to have scripture memorization. I've got to be able to meditate on that. Words. The reason why our words are so loose and destructive is because we're putting into our life, into our mind, the wrong words rather than the right words. The reason why our young people today have such vulgarity and disrespect for people is because of the influence they have from television, the influence they have from music, Guys, it doesn't take a theologian to figure this out. 
if all I ever ate was donuts, cupcakes, and, and Cokes and candy, would I be skinny? And the answer is going to be, no, I would not be skinny. If I fill my life with vegetables, with healthy foods, then therefore I'm going to be healthy and I'm going to be in shape. Well, if the only thing we're putting in our life is the junk of the world, if that's all that's going into our life, everybody looking at your Amber Alert now? Okay, we'll wait for a minute so you can do your Amber Alert. If the only thing we're ever putting in our life is junk food, then our life is going to be full of junk. So if we're having problems right now with saying the wrong words, it's because we're allowing the wrong words to enter into our heart and mind. If we're having a problem with our emotions and expressing the wrong feelings and the wrong desires, it's because we're allowing the wrong things to come into our life. And the reason why we are not in self-control is because we lack knowledge. And the reason why we lack knowledge, moral excellence. And the reason why we lack moral excellence is because of our faith. So let me just give you a real easy point of view. This works for almost everybody, but probably Casey, because Casey is real tall. Well, you too. If I fall off the self-control step, it's almost suicide for me. But if I fall off the self-control step, where do I have to begin again? At the very bottom. And that's for everybody, even you, Casey. You could probably step up that high, but in the spiritual life, that's not going to work. So hear me, if right now you're, if you're having problems with self-control, it's not like you can say, well, I'm having problems with self-control. I probably just need to get back on the step of knowledge and figure it out. No, when we fall off a step, and any step you ever fall off of, you've got to start at the beginning. Because the reason why you've fallen off that step is because you have allowed your faith to grow weak. You have uh, not pursued the Lord with all of your heart. You have not been memorizing Scripture. And the reason why you haven't been memorizing Scripture, then you lose self-control. The next step, basically, is this thing called patient endurance. <laughs> Notice it just doesn't say endurance, because a lot of us just want to endure, don't we? Not just endure, we've got to learn to have patient endurance. Now, I understand this comes with age. The older I've gotten, the little more patient I've become. And that's because I've learned just to be... Uh, more wise in how I respond to people. And so we've got to learn to have patient endurance because there are these people in life that really know how to push your button. Anybody got people in your life that know how to push your buttons? Anybody? Yeah. Now, if you don't, then you must live by yourself and never talk to anybody. We all have people in our lives that push our buttons. That's just, just life. But God put those people in your, in your life to, number one, for you to minister to them and for you to help them out. Um, I mean, that, that's just the way it is. So what then, if I'm taking this necessary step in growing in my faith, what are some of the patient endurance that I need to have? Well, first of all, you've got to have a patient endurance for God's love. And, and the Bible tells us that. In Jude one twenty one, it says, Keep yourselves in the love looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Notice Jude says, keep yourself in it. In other words, we probably have a tendency to fall out of it. We have a tendency to leave it. And so Jude says, listen, you've got to learn to be patient and you've got to learn to keep yourself in God's love. Well, well, not only that, he says, you've also got to learn prayer. 
you got to keep yourself in prayer. And, and we know that. Luke 18, 1 says, Then he spoke a parable to them that says, Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So we have to endure in our prayer life. But it's, it's never going to be, it's, you're never going to really endure in God's love or in prayer until you learn to have self-control, until you learn to have knowledge, until you learn to have moral excellence. Do you, do you see how these things are working? Hopefully you're identifying why you're, why you're slipping up or having things in your life. Same way with God's word. For us to be consistent in our Bible reading, for us to be consistent in our quiet time, uh, we have to do things. Um, also doing good. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us now not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you shall receive, you shall reap and not lose heart. We have to be patiently enduring, not gritting your teeth, not biting your tongue. You ought to take it joy to know that God's put somebody in your life that's uh, really somebody you can work on and work with and try to help and, and move them further on. And of course, also we have to stand firm. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which were taught, whether by word or by epistle. So, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, and we've got to be patient. The next one is godliness. What do you think that word means? Anybody want to take a guess? Godliness. Say that again. Striving to be Christ-like, okay? What else? I'll be all right. I'm not reading, so I'm good. Thank you. What else? Forgiving. Now, here's what's neat about this word. And sometimes the English language does not do the Hebrew language uh, good. means God-likeness. In the original Greek, this word meant to worship well. So when you look up the word godliness, that word means to worship well. Well, if we're truly worshiping well, then everything else will fall into place. The one word that describes godliness is to worship. And worship is how we express our love to God. Now, I'm not going to go any further here because in about an hour from now, our pastor is going to preach on the very subject of worship. But what we have to understand, in order for us to really become godly in worship, we have to have patient endurance. In order for us to ever have patient endurance, we have to have self-control. In order for us to have self-control, we have to have knowledge. In order for us to have knowledge, we have to have moral excellence. In order for us to have moral excellence, we have to have faith. One is built upon another, is built upon another. And I'm going to say this over and over. If you fall off the godliness ladder, you don't hop right back on to the patient endurance ladder. You have to start at the very bottom because one is built upon another. It's just like we just don't go out to a house and start building the roof first because you couldn't build a roof without walls and you couldn't build a walls without a foundation. <laughs> Unless you live in the Bahamas, and that's a whole other story. <laughs> I've literally seen them in the Bahamas. They'll erect a building in a wall and then literally knock the hole into the wall to put a pipe in there for their, um, for their plumbing. I haven't figured that one out, but things are done a little different every now in the Bahamas. But we don't do that here in the States. We have orders. We have prerequisites. We have steps 
to build a house. Well, ladies, the same way with cooking. There is just certain things you do in order to cook. It's not like you put the icing on the cake before it ever goes into the oven. There are certain things that we do. Well, in order for us to mature as Christians, in order for us to be firm and stable as believers, we have to take necessary steps to get up there. And when we fall, when we come short, now hear my heart, I'm not talking about a one-moment episode. I'm talking about, you know what, Chuck, I can't remember the last time I really sat down and worshipped the Lord. Not only at church, not only in my life, I just can't remember that. Well, then you need to start at the beginning. You know, Pastor Chuck, I really cannot remember when I've been faithful to read my Bible. I cannot remember when I've been faithful to pray. I, I can't remember when I've been faithful to do good to others. Well, then we need to start at the beginning. I lose my temper every day, you know. <laughs> Pastor Chuck, I'm, I'm always short with people. I'm always saying the wrong things about people. Um, well, then we need to start at the beginning. I don't have any scripture memorization. I can't remember the, the last time I even had a Bible verse stick in my brain. Well, then we need to start back at the beginning, you know. If we're just kind of sitting around doing nothing all day long, then we have to start back at the beginning. These are built one upon another. And when we fall off the ladder, we basically have to go back. The next step is called brotherly affection. It's interesting. The Bible says, by this shall all men know you're my disciples if you love one another. Isn't that hard to believe? Well, that's probably not hard to believe. That we literally have, in order for us to show the world that we're Christians, that we have to love one another. The church has to love each other. And yet, that's the one thing the church has the biggest problem doing. Notice that key word, and. And with godliness, brotherly affection. See the step, the build. Jesus knew when he was talking to his disciples, the biggest problem that Christians would have or the church would have would be loving each other. That's why we have denominations. And those denominations have hurt the world rather than help the world. It's really sad when... People call themselves believers, but yet they will not worship together. They call themselves Christians, and they'll tell you, stay away from them. Stay away from them, when in all reality, we should be together. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you love one another. And we are told to have brotherly love. So what are some of the things in brotherly love we need to be doing? Well, here they are. First of all, we need to learn to publicly and privately edify them or build them up. It's real easy to cut one another down. It's real easy to talk bad about each other. But are we building each other up? Are we complimenting one another? Are we encouraging one another, not only publicly, but also privately? Are you encouraging people? I know there are some people that just don't need encouragement. And there are some people that need encouragement. And you can always tell those people that need encouragement because they'll say, hey, how did I do today? Hey, how do I look today? Hey, what did you think? I, was this good today? And if these people are, are asking you those questions consistently, repeatedly, put in your brain, this person here needs to be encouraged. So I'm going to make sure that I can encourage this person. I want to encourage them. I want to help them. We need to encourage each other. We also need to help and serve one another. Some people have that nature or that gifting. They like to help one another. Some people don't. And that's okay if you don't have the gifting of serving. But when you see a brother in need, it should be your responsibility to help. It's our 
brotherly affection. How do we explain, you know, ex- express our affection? We encourage them. We help them. <laughs> How about we forgive them and forget about it? <laughs> well, that can be hard. You ever had somebody done something, they did something bad to you, and because they've done something bad to you, you've already written them off? I just wrote them off. They're, they are no longer in my life. Listen, they need forgiveness. And they need to know that you've forgiven them. So, show of hands, who in here has ever been hurt before by somebody? I'm talking like you've been really hurt, right? Okay. Now, have you ever hurt anybody? Yeah, we, we're there. So, so it goes both ways. And so what we, we need to do is we need to forgive people. We need to let them know that we've forgiven them. And, and forget about that. You know, I, I, once again, I'm not saying to just completely expose your life to everybody. But what needs to happen is that we need to learn to forgive people and learn not to hold a grudge against them. Because, see, if you hold a grudge against them, then you'll never be able to care about them. When we get to the place where we no longer care for people or no longer care about people, it's because we have forgotten to worship or we're no longer worshiping. And because we're not worshiping, it's because we are truly not being patient with people, not being patient because we've lost self-control. And the reason we've lost self-control is because we have no knowledge. And the reason why we have no knowledge is because we have no moral excellence to do that very thing. And so we need to learn to care for people. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26 say this, that there should be no schism in the body, but that all members should have the same care one for another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. In other words, we're one body. We need to learn to care. And of course, last, we need to learn to build each other up. We're all going to face heartaches and hardships in life. And we need to build each other up and encourage each other. So, what does this brotherly kindness produce then? Well, five things I think it produces. You could think of a lot of things. Number one, it will produce a peaceful journey. Because a lot of times if you are fussing and fighting with everybody in your life, you, don't, you do not go to bed at night peaceful and happy. You go to bed at night plotting and scheming how to get even, how to get ahead. And if you'll learn to basically be kind to fellow Christians and believers, your journey in life is going to be a lot more peaceable. Not only that, um, it will also be genuine. You'll have some genuine friendships. Listen, when we care for one another, we encourage one another, we help one another, you're going to produce some genuine friendships. It also will give you some unending support. So that when you're in need, somebody can help you out. Probably the most important one is that it will be a compelling witness to the world. The world needs to see that we are different from them. The world needs to see that we love people, we care for people, we, we want to help people. And probably it leads you to a true life, a life that's not a life of a lie, a life that's not a life of staying awake at night, plotting and scheming and planning. It will be a life that you can lay your head down at night and go to sleep. When we are chasing everything else in life but the Lord, It'll always come up empty for you. You'll always come up short. But when we chase the Lord and we grab a hold of Him, 
and we put our faith and trust in him, we truly will be fulfilled. We will be satisfied. Our desire in life should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And when we do those things, we will sleep better at night. We'll have peace at night. We'll be able to understand tomorrow better. We'll be able to, ta- we'll be able to tackle tomorrow's problems better because then we are truly doing what God has asked us to do. We can have all these wonderful things. So the last one is love. The agape love, that genuine love for all mankind. So in order for us to truly reach the pinnacle of our Christian faith, in order for us to reach the very highest part of it, to reach this love, there are some steps that we have to take. We have to take the step of love back down to brotherly affection, back down to godliness, back down to patient endurance, back down to self-control, back down to moral excellence, back down to moral, uh, moral excellence. That's how this works. There are steps that you and I have to take. And then when we take these steps, we will have love. Do you realize is that love is what separates Christianity from all the other religions in the world? Because... Our love for Christ is not based upon our works. It's not based upon force or even keeping records. It's just God loving you and you loving God and you loving your fellow man. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not based upon works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Christianity is the only relationship, I should say, rather than religion in the world, but that's what it's based upon, love. That's what it's based upon, love. And the way that we'll ever truly love God is we'll have to have brotherly affection. And the only way we're ever going to have brotherly affection, we've got to have godliness or worship. And the only way we're ever going to have worship is to have patient endurance. And the only way we're going to have patient endurance is to have self-control. And the only way we're ever going to have self-control is to have knowledge. And the only way we're ever going to have self-knowledge is to have that moral excellence. One is based upon the other. So, With all that being said, let me pop your bubble for a minute. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. It's the love chapter. But we misuse the love chapter so many times. Because 1 Corinthians 13 is always used where? At a wedding. Has nothing to do with a wedding. Go back and read 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is dealing with your love, not for your spouse, but for who? The church. So when you read 1 Corinthians, and oh, it sounds so great. Love is patient. Trust me, we can use it on our spouses. We need that. But the goal of 1 Corinthians wasn't about your spouse. It was about the church of Jesus Christ. So if you're not patient... When you have God's love, you will be patient. And when you have God's love, you will be kind. And when you have God's love, you will not be jealous or rude. And when you have God's love, you won't demand your own way. The reason why we're so me-focused today is because there's no love of God in our life. We won't keep records of wrongs. We'll never give up. See, people who come to church, they make a public profession of faith and then six months later they bailed upon God is because their faith wasn't really genuine 
and they never took that first step to have moral excellence, to have knowledge, to have self-control, to have patient endurance, to have godliness, brotherly affection, or love. The reason why they've given up is because they really truly did not follow the right steps. It also is hopeful. One thing we need in life is hope. It also never loses faith. No matter how dark your world may become today, you'll never lose faith if you follow these necessary steps. And most important, it's unconditional. It's not based upon what you do for me or what I do for you. My love for you should always be unconditional. And last, it never fails. 1 Corinthians 13. This is the whole description of our love for the Lord and our love for one another in the church. So just to go back over again, for you really to grow spiritually, for you really to mature as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to have to have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And after you have this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have to pursue Him with moral excellence. And remember that moral excellence is giving everything you have in your being. And when you have moral excellence, then you will have, you'll pursue knowledge, and that knowledge will be Scripture memorization, understanding the Bible and its applications for your life. Then it will help you to have self-control. If you want to have self-control, it's got to be based upon knowledge, moral excellence, and faith. Then you'll have that patient endurance to learn to deal with people and not lose your temper with them. And then you'll have godliness, that true form of worship. And that godliness will then pursue on to brotherly affection, which will last lead you to love. Peter simply writes this book, this, this chapter right here for us to say, if we want to grow as believers in Jesus Christ, here are the necessary steps that you're going to have to take. And if you are failing in one of these steps, you're going to have to start back at the beginning. That's what we do, church. This is how this happens. If we want to grow as believers, if we want to develop into mature believers as, as lovers of Jesus Christ, we have to have a genuine faith. And when that genuine faith, then we pursue all of our heart and mind to have a moral excellence, to have knowledge, to have self-control, to have patience, to have godliness, to have a brotherly affection and love. And Peter says, when you do all of that, notice how he finishes up. He says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way, they're short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Peter says, if you're falling short in these areas, the reason why you're falling short because you're either short-sighted or you're blind. And he says, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Peter says, if you do these things, these necessary steps, you will never, ever fall away from the Lord. So let me encourage you this morning. Let's start at the very beginning. And let's just climb the ladder of life so that one day we truly become mature Christians and the world will be able to see just how much God has impacted our life and how much we love God in our life.